Hello people, welcome back to the podcast. You're probably used to these intros by now. They make, they don't make much sense. They don't tell you what you're about to listen to because the host himself never remembers. You're probably getting quite used to that, but I do feel they give some sort of friendly, nice vibe to the podcast before we get into the conversation. You get to know me a little bit. You might have came from somewhere else and you get to, you know, see my vibe and who I am and ultimately I would like you to listen to other episodes so that's the whole sort of point in them you don't get thrown into the deep end of the conversation anyway Kerry is a dietitian we speak about her experiences of working in the NHS as a dietitian then transitioning to being a PT and a dietitian but on her own terms. The thing I like about Kerry the most is she has very similar outlooks to me but obviously much more well versed in terms of nutrition so I kind of used this as an actual experiment of throwing loads of questions to, to her about things I sort of know the answers to but I don't quite understand understand how to explain it to maybe a client or to my audience and the good thing about Kerry is she uses words mere peasants like me and probably you let's be honest you're a peasant if I dropped two pound you would pick it up you wouldn't tell me you picked it up and you'd put it in your pocket that's the type of audience I have I know it you wouldn't even tell me and it's my two pound you owe me I'll set up a GoFundMe and you can give me it back, right? But anyway, she explains things in such a simple way that anyone can understand. And that's when you know someone is intelligent and good at their job. They don't try to use words to confuse you. They just actually explain it as if you're five years old. And you have to have a certain level of intelligence and understanding of a topic to be able to do that. If someone is trying to sound really intelligent, it's because they probably don't know what they're talking about or they're trying to sound smarter than what they are. Maybe I'm just trying to make myself feel better. Anyway, enjoy the show. For someone who's worked in the NHS for 10 years, mm -hmm. what's your thoughts on the whole Russell Brand situation? Ooh, um... I'm not going to lie, I've probably tried to kind of stay away from some of it over yeah. the last couple of days, but I think it's been hard to miss. Um, but I I don't know. I think it's, I have issues probably with the media since probably COVID. And I've say this to actually so many people just now that I think I can't watch the news anymore. <laughs> um, I think because every day during COVID when I was having to work in the hospitals, I was coming home and like glued to the screen. And now that I think it just seems to pass from one big story to the next and I'm not saying that obviously it's a huge bunch of allegations that are getting made mm. but ugh, I don't know um it's tricky I think that it needs to be dealt with very appropriately and I think even though that there's I think we need to remember what people are still coming out with big accusations here and there's yeah I think we need to tread the water really Firmly carefully and stuff. planted on the fence I'm mm -hmm. the same I'd it's be... so difficult um we, I had the same feeling with the news during COVID. Yeah. And me and my, so I'd moved back from Australia straight into the second lockdown. Yeah. Um, and me and my dad would have a daily argument about, like, I would just switch the news off yeah. and he'd switch it back on. And then I would, like, maybe go out a walk and come back and he'd be like, 
and distraught yeah. and like in distress and they'd be talking about like lockdown maybe yeah. not ending for like four months and i'd be like be like we need to know this stuff and yeah. i was like i will know yeah i won't be allowed the shop yeah. won't be all yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, the, the pub won't be like yeah. do you know what i mean i was like oh no i don't yeah. need i don't need to hear about it all day I know. so i would switch off mm -hmm. and you go no we need to know and i'm like we fucking don't <laughs> <laughs> i think yeah it got to the point i think where i don't know i've maybe come home and chuck the news on in my dinner and stuff like pre-covid and then i think because i came home and we were having to deal with the issues of covid so relentlessly every day that i think coming home and seeing what other countries would experience and hearing death rates and whatever else it was it was the totally death rates me. Uh -huh. and i remember hearing other people talking about it that they would choose the most shocking death rate yeah. from whichever country it was not just giving you the stats because they just were trying to keep your interest as well i think with the russell brand thing if i'm honest what kind of scares me is like my visceral reaction is like hoping that he's innocent Mm -hmm. and i think a lot of people just react on that but i'm open to him like but like my visceral feeling is probably because i'm a male going i hope he, like I, I liked him but I know. and then i watched some of it and i was like well others could be room here but yeah. then don't know i think it's tricky whatever we get told in the media we're only on, we're only going to get half the story and i think the tricky thing is is that he has obviously had a background of things that he's been so open about um which I don't know is if whether that's a good or a bad thing. Mm. And I think the frustrating cover, thing... Maybe covering, yeah. but you don't know. Like, I don't know. Or the fact that he's... Yeah, it's difficult. But I think just now he's definitely a maybe a 50-50 kind of person. Some people love him, some people hate him. Um, and I think that's a tricky thing that the news is only ever going to give us the downside of, you know, both aspects of whether it's the accusations that are getting made or whether it's on Russell Brand himself. Um that most of the time I'm just like, no, I can't, I I try can't deal out, with it. I know I'm talking about it on a podcast, yeah. but I, see, in general, I, I try to avoid these conversations yeah. like the plague. Um, like any of the movements, even like the Black Lives Matter thing, when people are like, I do post the black square, and I'm like, mate, leave me alone. Mm -hmm. Like, all you want to do is have, like, people just want to have a intense, argue. they've got their yeah. opinion, yep. and all they want to do is shout their opinion yeah. at you, and I'm just like, mate, I don't want to do this. I know. It, fe it, it feels, it doesn't feel nice. No. any of those sort of even if and it doesn't feel like you're trying to have a conversation and see each other's point of view you're just trying to get me have the Debating. same point of view as you yeah, yeah i don't like debates i know it's like politics that's why i don't like watching it because all it, like it's not actually like how, how do we make things better yeah it's even a lot of like coaches do it as well yeah. it's like no your your approach is wrong and mm -hmm. it's like why are we debating this yeah i had this conversation so i think i told this in a podcast right yeah. a guy made a Right, so I'll go and uh, so he commented twice and he, he might listen to this. I don't know if he will, mm -hmm. but he'd he'd clearly just took a dislike to my videos. Okay, but he clearly he just did when I don't like this guy anymore. Yeah. And I think he'd like me at one point, and uh, I think I was just making the argument that I think people should maybe prioritize weights over cardio yep. at the start. And like I thought, I wasn't bashing any of them. I wasn't saying don't do any of them. I was like, I maybe think you might cause see a bit quicker result or like you might see results and it might spark you to do some sort of exercise mm -hmm. and he was like why are you bashing cardio so much and then i ignored the first two and then he said something and then i went on his profile and it was all crossfit stuff and i yep. went like that oh makes sense you're a crossfit gimp yeah and by what the way here? What? <laughs> i've been to, i've been to like five times and i think in like a year or two i'll probably transfer over to crossfit yeah. 
I was just I was just getting bored of him examining. <laughs> so I just <laughs> chose the easiest dig back yeah. and then he made a full two minute video about me. God. And he, like like no offense to him, he took everything I've ever said out of context. And I but I messaged him, I was like, mate, I don't care about any of this. Yeah. I was like, I'm not gonna like tell I'm not gonna put it on my story and say yeah. and back myself up or anything. I like and I was like, if me and you were sitting next to each other, we have the same goal mm -hmm. and you just have and like honestly, if you spoke to me about like my thoughts on cardio, they're probably very similar yeah. to yours. We don't need to argue about it. Do you know what I think it's a lot to do with like the kind of fitness world though that it's so like overly saturated like mm. there's there's so many people trying to make their way in the fitness industry that i think if you are either i don't know maybe seen as a threat or i don't know looking for someone to be maybe controversial to start that argument that's often where i don't know on social media trends come up and whatever else that people start mm. slating someone else sharing it all this kind of stuff and sometimes i think it's almost like clickbait and, yeah it's like um, drama gets mm, views into yeah. it yeah and i think that's a tricky thing probably i guess more, more with fitness industry maybe but nutrition spaces like that as well where people are just i, I think probably i post more nutrition stuff because that's like my main area but the number of everyone has an opinion on nutrition so even though people are obviously entitled to have their opinion on things or non food and whatever else i think when you for example i'm sure we're going to talking about it but things like carbs and whatever else that is such a an emotive topic for so many people that um if i have ever posted things on carbs and stuff before it would be i would get a lot of stick in comments but I, for me i'm just like i'm sharing what evidence and information i can give you so that you can make more informed choices about your health if comments and stuff are in there i just try not try and not interact with them and stuff because i'm like at the end of the day you can take the information as you want <laughs> and then do with it as you will <laughs> one of the biggest lessons i've learned is it never it never ever feels good to reply no. to those comments oh, no. i was like i hadn't done it in like six months but you yeah. threw my head in so i, I just called them a crossfit gimp and then i got a two-minute <laughs> video made about me i was like learned the lesson yeah <laughs> oh, it's, it's tricky though but i think especially if someone's almost doing it to you a couple of times yeah. then i can i can understand it but um but yeah, it's that's tricky. why I just make mental videos about it now. Yeah. <laughs> where I lose my mind. That's my, that's my, that's oh, my no. reply now. I've wrote down like five like proper like skits with like yeah. comments people were giving me, and I'm like, I'm needing to stop doing that's this. That's probably good. Um, good uh, content strategy planning and stuff, though. Just feeding off. Yeah, um, I don't like argue with them. I yeah. just take the utter piss out of it because that's <laughs> that's the only thing I can. That's the only like positive thing I can feel can like I can it. get from it. What was so. You're a dietitian mm -hmm. and you were saying, because obviously I've heard the wild stories about nurses and doctors through COVID. Yep. What effect did that have on dietitians? Because so I, I don't really understand what how your day-to-day -day job would look like as a dietitian with the NHS. Does okay. that make sense? Yeah. Um, so I guess it depends on maybe what area of the NHS and stuff that you go into. So I've largely worked in the acute setting and things for the last 10 years, which means working in hospitals and stuff like that. Um, communities, obviously, when you go into people's homes, mm -hmm. you probably do more clinics and things, you know, um, maybe in GP surgeries and stuff like that or go into nursing homes and things like that. Um, so probably from my own experience, the the area that I was working in at that point I had worked for however many years in surgery and critical care and then I'd taken a job probably was it maybe a year before COVID as I moved up to Glasgow back into doing stroke and kind of elderly rehabilitation at that point and it was yeah whenever COVID hit because there was obviously such a big pull on ICUs and 
all of that because of the the nature of the patients that we were getting in. Anyone who had previous ICU experience got drafted in to cover the ICUs at that point. And um, it was that bit I think was scary, even though I felt as if I knew what I was doing in the ICU space. I think we were, in some way I felt slightly fortunate, because at, at that point I was fortunate that I hadn't had COVID or anything at that point and you still didn't know what you were dealing with. Mm. Um, but I think seeing the number of people that were sadly coming through the ICU units being so horrendously unwell with it, that was when I would say that I had definite like an- health anxiety overall over that time of just coming in every day and seeing the number of patients getting admitted, the number of patients that were sadly passing away, and it was just it was just brutal. So I think I'm trying to think how many months I had to get drafted back into doing that. I don't know, maybe six months or something thereabouts, and then yeah, I'm sure I got moved back into kind of my substantive post at that point. But I was kind of I'm some way half fortunate that the way that we documented notes, for example, in for the ICU space was um, everything's online. So because at that point when you went into ICU because of all the ventilation, the ventilation and things, you had to get put in like the big hazmat suits, which because I, for example, I would go in and my role with someone in ICU was to give them nutrition through a tube in their nose and calculate the requirements, work out how much they would need in order to help them when they obviously can't eat themselves. And um, because it wouldn't be me that would actually be hanging up the feed, it would be nursing staff that were doing it. We were seen as people that maybe didn't need to enter the ward or didn't need to take up PPE at that point. So we were, I would say, in some way slightly protected that I could phone the ward and say, look, I've assessed this person um, online because all the notes and stuff are online. I could see that from my office at that point, phone and then make a prescription for someone online and just stay in the office, um, which I would say in some way was fortunate. But then when I got drafted back into my substantive post at that point, all the all the notes were on the wards, so that was I was going onto the wards and stuff at that point, and you know dealing with COVID and things, kind of more on a face. What are you giving someone through a tube? Um, it, so this is people that are in like critical care. Yeah, so um, it would be like it's liquid feed that's kind of made up, and we would it, the makeup of it depends on the person, so it's like almost like pre-made bags, but we would choose what one is most tailored to that person's like energy requirements, protein requirements things like vitamins and minerals and stuff that are through it to try and make their intake at that point when they can't eat themselves as nutritionally complete as it can be um, to make sure that they obviously come out of ICU or whether it's even someone on the ward, for example, who's had a stroke and they can't swallow properly. Um, they sometimes need tube feeding for a period of time to make sure that they've got the energy coming into them to go over their stroke. And um, so yeah, it's kind of like liquid feeds that hang up that we what prescribe were, for them. What were you doing before COVID then? Like through the NHS? So I was much the same. So in my old job, um, I worked at another hospital at that point that I was doing surgery and critical care, but just in another in another hospital and then took the job up at the Queen Elizabeth I was at at that point um, in stroke and care of the elderly and then got drafted back into doing ICU and critical care kind of around COVID time. So that's a lot different to the kind of job you're doing with PT yeah. and then being a dietitian. Cause so how does your life look now? Do you kind of the- use your dietitian stuff? Do you use that as much with PTing? Yeah, um, so kind of since I was doing, throughout my kind of NHS life, I'd always, when I graduated, whenever that was, feels Mm. like ages ago, I always had in the back of my head. What age you, 21? If I wish, yeah. (laughs) 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 Um, Yeah, I think when I first graduated, I'd always had this idea that I've always been into sport and exercise, always had this big goal that I wanted to work in like with athletes in some way so I think when I finished uni I knew that I wanted to get experience I think working with you know I don't mean the 
I would say the general, getting my kind of basics behind me and things before working with like one-to-ones in, you know, clinic and community or at the hospital for me at that point and almost getting my clinical knowledge like behind me um, so that I knew that if I wanted to then specialise in an area, I would have that clinical experience behind me. To then specialise in an area, you have to really get, a, in my opinion, get a good few years behind you so that you know enough about the kind of general population that you might generally see before you then specialise in one particular thing. So I worked for a few years and then decided to go back to uni I think when I could afford it to go back to do a postgrad in sports nutrition and then ever since then I'd been trying to kind of chip my way of getting into the kind of sports area Mm -hmm. and probably back then if you'd asked me my dream goal was to get in with like the Institute of Sport or work with a club or something like that but I don't know if other folk in Scotland would agree but I think the world of sport is really really small up here and I've can admit that I personally found it really hard to kind of break my way into it as dietitians or for example like performance nutritionists and like do you think in like a dream job would be like working with a football team or like, like that, that. Sort of, yeah, yeah okay. at that point it was any but my opinions kind of changed i think that's quite common isn't it so i've got like a physio friend and i think she works now for the institute of yeah. sport but she found it very difficult because like all the jobs in england were way more yep. promising so she was contemplating going down there yeah, and stuff exact same boat and i think not the, enough money up here as well yeah and i think the trick is weird even though I would say that you give more of your your life to sport, if you work in that area, the amount that you would actually get paid was much less than what I was getting paid in my NHS job. So it, it didn't really, from that point of view, it didn't seem to kind of weigh itself up. Um, so yeah, I chipped away for what feels like years of trying to like approach clubs. I would maybe get asked again to do talks or seminars or something like that. But annoyingly, <clears throat> in comparison to like a physio, we're not seen as a, like an essential part of their... Um, of like the coaching staff if that makes sense like a football team doesn't necessarily need to have a dietitian or performance nutritionist in it whereas they need to have a physio they obviously need to have a, a head coach all that kind of stuff so you would often get taken on for a short periods of time of coming in to just do workshops or something like that and then they wouldn't want to take you on on a full-time basis which is frustrating but I think it's only kind of high like top you know elite clubs and stuff like Rangers Celtic I don't know that probably have the money to then afford someone like full time and it's often about so you've you know. got there's two jobs available in the country basically. yeah so it's it's hard it's it's just a bit of a I don't know that sounds maybe like woe is me but I think the I, I know I've heard that a lot it's I've tricky heard that, well the Scottish well football is the biggest sport yeah. and there's not a lot of money in football here yeah. so imagine all the other sports yeah, and I think I would have been open to like even going into I don't know like rugby. I've got a background kind of athletics of interest of my own. I would have loved to get into that. But what kind of athletics? Just maybe like track and field stuff. I would love to go into. Um, but I think it was just yeah, it was. I, I felt like I was kind of like fighting a losing battle, and it's dietetics in particular is like so small and quite often in the field of sport as well you're often taken on with like the current manager of that club and if they move they might want to take their coaching staff with them so your job is always like I'm say a bit risky Mm -hmm. so I think over the years and I think probably during Covid or when I started kind of getting into more like coaching and stuff from a like PT point of view it kind of made me realise that I was almost like neglecting people that I probably had a better relationship with because I enjoyed going to the gym and stuff myself. I could see that folk weren't fueling their training appropriately and all that kind of stuff that I was like, why am I trying so hard to try and get into like the elite areas where there's like people day to day that obviously need the support. Mm. Um, Yeah, so I was definitely that person that was thinking about moving to England at one point and, um, you know, would have given up anything. But I was like, what am I doing? I would imagine (laughs) you would have plenty of interesting people that are willing to pay for your advice that are like not elite level athletes but people are probably 
running pretty good triathlons yeah, and stuff yeah. that would be interest or like they have a goal of doing an ironman yeah. or something and that would be interesting for you yeah so rather than it being like big sport corporations yeah. or whatever like having just one-to-one -one athletes that's the same job you're kind of striving yeah. for isn't it so that's kind of where i'd got to from like i would say i loved my when yeah, i worked do you have in, any clients like that or have you worked yeah, with them? so <clears throat> when i left the nhs back in march this year like that's what i was going to say like I, I loved the patient side of things in my nhs job loved working in surgery and critical care but i just knew that it kind of wasn't feeling my fire there's always this background in me that my end goal was always to try and work in sports at some point um but I think I had just kind of almost lost my way that I couldn't see how to do it and then I think as I got into like I said coaching and stuff that was when it, I was like oh this is kind of where I maybe like I'm needing to be so yeah I kind of decided to take the leap of faith out and out of the NHS back in March and that's kind of the area that I'm trying to delve into now so it's still early days kind of six months into it now but I run work in a clinic on a Monday and that's kind of where I'm trying to see folk more from like a one-to-one -one that needs to come in for like a full dietetic assessment and then obviously there's a, a limit or a, a I guess like a space that I can help my own PT clients and things with their how, nutrition. How does a dietetic assessment look? Um, so I would say it goes in a lot more in depth and I think that's sometimes that I need to what I often remind my own PT clients that I take on is that I think some people, I don't know, maybe find me on social media and know that I'm a dietitian and things and think, oh, I'm going to be able to almost get like two for one, which there's obviously from a, and you'll know this as well, there's a, a huge part from a personal trainer point of view that I can assist someone with their intake. But if I was to do a dietetic assessment, I need to really get someone in technically for an hour appointment and sit them down, do a full assessment on social history, past medical history and whatever else. So I'm assuming you've probably came across it yourself that a lot of people come in to potentially the fitness world and probably ask a lot about, I don't know, gut-related symptoms for different things and things that might be impacting on their dietary intake that I know if I was if I just went to do my PT course and hadn't done anything else, I wouldn't really be able to offer that information to, if that makes I sense. I would touch gently that. So I think there's an element of me that I know that I can give a lot of support to them, but there's an element that I need to say, look, if you need any more support, then I'm going to need to try and see you in clinic because it isn't the appropriate space. And also even from like a like a registration point of view, I need to make sure that I, the same way as if you went to a GP, they would document all your notes. I need to do the same thing that in case, you know, from a protection point of view, that's kind of where it comes from like... I, I even find the gym floor is not the place to talk about food. No. And it, but do you not know think that's a really difficult thing being a PT is that if you only see, for example, a client once or twice a week, I think you're trying to do so much for them of, you know, trying to coach them obviously in the first place, but you are you might be that first protocol for them of It's a hard job. It's uh -huh. I don't think people will like realise how like it's very emotionally draining. Yeah. Like because you're taking on most people's problems and yeah. you're also so I, the better, like the better you get at it, is actually the the less you try give people. If you know yep. what I mean, like so try to get them to focus on way less different things yep. at once and just do one thing at a time. Like try to get them just to lift and then be like, right, we will fix food, but yep. let's just lift first and then like it becomes like that rather yeah. than being like at the start you're like, fuck food, I'm gonna fix everything. Yep. <laughs> Gonna walk, walk out here in two weeks and you women I know. you'll understand everything and then they just and then leave. you wouldn't need me anymore <laughs> and they just go fuck this guy yeah. it is a, it's i think as well when you start out you almost think that you want to i think when you get someone in initially you probably think that they've come in with the motivation at that point that you want to be like okay we can do x y and z but i would say that i'm in the same opinion as you that 
we needed to strip it back and there's a lot of clients that would come in when I do like initial consultations with them saying they want support with diet and exercise and I'm like fine but obviously the main reason you're contacting me just now is to come in and you know hopefully feel fitter and stronger and let's focus on that first let's see if we can get you you know consistently training however many times a week suits you and then over time this is where we then think what other habit can we then you know obviously start integrating is it you know looking at your nutritional right. intake and Give me your honest answer to this, right? Mm -hmm. So we probably have quite similar approaches in terms of like, we're just trying to get people doing things a bit better yeah. and it's not being a, and like, I'm, even if people want weight loss, a lot of the times I'm trying to almost convince them out of that at the start. Yeah. And then I'm like, once I teach you, like just how to like look after yourself a bit, like we can do weight loss, yeah. Um, but I don't want to get you to do that. Cause if I got you, right, what's the last three years look like and all like oh yeah I, i'm always on a diet and then mm -hmm. i'm always putting it back on i'm like we need to get away from that for a while yeah. um but how many coaches do you think just say a percentage just say glasgow right mm -hmm. what percentage of coaches do you think are like that um i think if you asked me a couple of years ago i would have said well over 50 percent would have been like striving for this weight loss goal trying to get your progress pictures and stuff like that because that was the clickbait again to get folk into their you know their business mm -hmm. which I, there's an element of that i understand but um i think it's getting better i think there's a huge even from a again a nutrition point of view i think there's a big shift that's kind of happening just now of where there are so many people trying to shout a bit louder about why you should be doing exercise for more than just trying to lose weight because it, it is about so it should be about so much more than that and I think if you go in with that mindset of thinking I'm just going to go in to try and see if the number shifts on the scales or you know from an, an aesthetic point of view how long are you you realistically going to stick to it and you're probably going to find it so destroying when you do it when you do it so a lot of the time that I speak to clients I say try and think of exercise as something that you you know have the opportunity to add to your life and it should add to your life as opposed to like depleting it all the time um same when it comes to nutrition so i think it's getting better but um i would say there's still quite a bit of work to do <laughs> tentative answer on defense. Bye, what's your what's Straight your on. opinion oh it's getting better yeah. it's definitely getting better sometimes i just need to like like clients will tell me what their last pt's done and i'm like just don't tell me yeah nervous <laughs> twitch <laughs> Yep. Yeah, I don't want to get meal, meal plan. How yeah. much? Twelve hundred? Yep. No, I don't oh, no. want to hear it. And then they'll be like, "Oh, I was booked in for a photo shoot," and I'm like, "Why? I know. I know. Why are you in for what? What is this photo shoot stuff about? I don't again, get it." That's when it comes down again, in my opinion, and it's not to sleep. We're anyone. doing one straight after by we in there. I'm kind of But yeah, I think that's where I then think if you're getting someone in to have a progress photo at the end of it, who's that actually for? Is it for the PT client? maybe to like a certain extent is it more actually trying to get someone else into your business after they've stopped and what's the maintenance after that have you actually taught the, the client anything at all about how to maintain that oh, yeah, it's very 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 rarely and like oh they reverse dieted mm -hmm. me up to 1700 calories yeah. i'm like oh, I know. why so it's so terrifying i i find that really scary yeah like because i i i'm of the opinion people have the wrong goal and at the mm -hmm. start and that's half the problem yeah so like when they go to pt they tell them their goal and they go right cool let's let's do that and yeah. I'm like, but that's not what's good for them no, no. and i know that from experience so like mate that's what <laughs> i done my full childhood yeah and like my teenage years up until i didn't learn until i was like 23 yeah i would just be like right i need to be way less so my yeah. goal was always just way less yeah and I just would fuck you up. Yeah, I would say even I've been quite open about this as well. If I didn't go to uni, 
I would wonder what my relationship with food and exercise was like. I think as I went into high school and then I think when there's that pressure at that point about how you look and I mean obviously guys get it as well I think females have just got this it's, uh, it's, it's worse for it's women it's so hard and it, like I just I always constantly remember thinking I had to try and strive to get abs at one point strive to be like always stay a size 8 you know and if I was getting a size up and clothes I'd be like oh my god and I remember going through a phase of constantly weighing myself and it was it was brutal and it was so uh, one thing I always speak to clients about as well is think about your weight on the scales of just being your relationship with gravity and that was one comment that I can't I don't know where I read it I've but, heard that before uh -huh. I like and I, I, I just think you're you're so right like uh, why is this number dictating my mood for the day when really it has I mean it, it, don't get me wrong it has its place in certain contexts and things but for the most part I would say for the recreational everyday athlete I would be saying to them you know there's so many other markers that you can see your progress from that is going to make it far more rewarding it's a it's it's a horrible thing to have that um so i'd like this is something i'd like to speak to you about mm -hmm. so i seen you wrote that you stopped weighing yourself mm -hmm. and i so i'm not so that i don't do that with people and i i started saying that at the start yeah so that again this would not be any kind of debate because yeah. what like i said before right we're trying to get we our end goals still the same yeah. just the way we get them there yeah. might be slightly different so and i think this was my lack of skills as a coach mm -hmm. so when i first started people who were getting obsessed with the scale i'd tell them to like chuck it out yeah. or whatever but then they would get obsessed with something else okay um but it was my lack of skills as a coach to not like i should be explaining to them from the start that look maybe you won't lose lo and maybe that's not the goal to lose loads of weight yeah. um or like lose even losing inches and stuff like that because people will get obsessed with the scale if they if you don't communicate that to them they will get obsessed with measurements or yeah. you get clients will be like can i send you a progress picture every day like if they're obsessed with the scale and you take it away yeah um but it's now trying to i think if your relationship with anything improves so if your relationship with food or the scale or yourself or exercise improves the rest of them all kind of improve at the same time yeah. so it's trying to improve like any of them and then they'll all sort of improve at yeah. the same time 100%. so it was like and it, some of that comes from education yeah. so i should have been like educating people on the scale a lot more trying that and then if it didn't work educating them in the same capacity about something else yeah but that was my lack of skills as a coach as a coach and i think like i've seen a second ago there's always there is a place for monitoring scale weight uh, you know I, I suppose maybe in a performance like area as well there's a, a I don't know there's a there is a need for it at times but I think for the recreational people or the people that are trying to um I guess like you said it's maybe switching that mindset of coming in from a health and performance point of view and that's yeah. what I always try and bring back to people that it's probably not going to add anything um and it might I mean I for me I know that it took me a while to kind of step like back from it and then actually get the confidence to finally chuck them out but um I think I really started to have that shift of okay I'm wanting to try and think about focusing on actually getting stronger I don't want to actually just run on the treadmill to see how many calories that I've burned which is what I was doing at one point um or just going out a run because I was like oh I, I want to be able to like eat more later on today mental and then actually once I took all of that away I started to actually be like ah oh, man I'm like lifting a bit heavier here or I've like yeah. I've managed to I don't know run a 5k a bit like quicker and all that is far more rewarding and I think keeps 
exercise that more rewarding. And I think that was where I started to see, even if, if aesthetics is your goal, I think that's where you will then see aesthetic gains coming from a long-term approach of it without you then having to think about how I actually look. It tends to come naturally because of consistency coming from a better place. I think when I <clears throat> thought about answering that question, that was what I was going to propose to you. Like, yeah. were you already at that point where you'd realized all these other things before you chucked it away? So if you chucked away those skills when you were maybe like in high school or whatever, mm -hmm. you'd probably got obsessed with yeah. something else, I reckon, yeah. but you got to that point. Just try to, the, our job really is just to try get people to try the other approach. Yeah. Because the, the, like we can say this to we're in the face, mm -hmm. but unless they do it themselves, they can no. listen to us. I think we'll encourage them to try something different, but they need to still try it. Yeah. And then we can walk them through it if they choose to yeah. work with us. And I think the um I think you're right. I definitely have, could admit that I often like call myself a recovering perfectionist. Like I have that tendency that I'm like, yes, I'm Do you want to hear something funny? Go. Cool. I used to play FIFA when I was younger mm -hmm. and I if I'd and I would be against the computer, see if I lost a game. Yeah, I would restart the season. <laughs> I don't think I ever finished the season because yep. I couldn't. I couldn't let anyone even draw with me. Yeah, I was always Celtic. <laughs> and Celtic, right? The manager would be John McKinney, yep. and he would just happen to look exactly like my dad. <laughs> <laughs> and there'd be a striker called Gavin McKinney. Yep, and I'd be a custom yep. player, and they would have ninety nine speed, even though I was really fat. And it was the opposite of all yeah. my attributes. It's it's funny. I, I think I see a lot of people as well that have that kind of tendency to, I don't know, weigh themselves, get obsessed with foods and whatever else. That is often one of the tendencies that come with it is that perfection or you have to have that like control around stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think it was only, like I said, maybe when I got into uni that I was like, oh my God, my approach to nutrition is like all wrong here. And I'm grateful for that because I do wonder if, if I'd went on to do something else what it would have been like so I think I probably got caught at a good time and it's not that I think I ever came from a space of where like my parents have always like been really great at like promoting a good relationship with foods and I think it was just unfortunately the time of the age, or the age that I was at when I was in high school we were obviously getting bombarded by I don't know magazine size eight how skinny you could be and all that kind of stuff that I think that was just definitely like a triggering thing for me um so yeah I think I just caught it at a good at a good time the two, maybe like 2000s to like 2012, some Special of the most. Special K diet. Yep. I'd done that mm -hmm. when I, I was like <laughs> 13. I, I just used to have four bowls. Yep. Four bowls is... What if I not losing weight? <laughs> but I said this on a podcast all day, like I'd done a solo one. Mm -hmm. You would have, I would see if I went into my mum's cupboard, like my old bedroom in my mum's house, yep. it, there would just be notepads of like the date and what weight I was and how I was gonna mm -hmm. lose weight and I would never last longer than a week because of my perfectionist. Yep. See, if I'm honest with you, see on an old note that I've still got on my phone, it's still there about when I would used to weigh myself like regularly and scary thinking how often I used to do it. And um, the, even seeing how much it would swing from like day to day, which is normal, but it's, yeah. I, I have a specific memory of me. I was like, right, I'm gonna weigh every day. Cause I used mm -hmm. to do the once a week thing. This is why I don't think I'm, really even if i tell people uh, I, do, I do often prescribe weighing every day to people if they're right. working with me but it's like i want you like show me your weights and then i'll explain to you what's going on yeah so it's more of a like educational yeah. thing um 
because I found no matter what system I used to weigh myself, it didn't matter. Like, because yeah. the once a week thing, I used to get anxiety from Thursday onwards because I was weighing on the Monday. Because yeah. I'd be, and it would be, I would want to lose two pounds. So even if it was one pound down, chocolate mm -hmm. straight away, yeah. and I would ban myself from chocolate crisps and Chinese's. Mm -hmm. That'd be that's the only three things. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I can't have them. <laughs> chocolate crisps, no chance. Well. Mm -hmm. Um, and. No matter what way and then i tried to weigh myself every day and i remember i remember specifically because i used to be embarrassed about weighing myself in the house i'd weigh myself and like we'd lived in a flat so i'd yeah. weigh myself out in the like hallway bit and it went down for three days in a row on the fourth day i'd gained all the all of the weight back yeah. and i just lost the plot i was it's... just like i'm always going to be fat and i remember telling myself oh. stuff like that uh -huh. as well i was just like i'm broke and how sad is it that that's where your mood came from was mm. literally what a number says about you um and i remember i used to do it most most mornings i think at one point and it would totally dictate my mood for the rest of the day it's nuts and i think the i don't know the freedom that comes from that or the it's just liberating mm. <laughs> of not having that dictating it but then like you said i would say that there's a there's a place for it so i think it's having the skill to be able to identify whether weighing someone is actually going to be a positive thing for them so like you said for example weighing someone every day might be useful for someone to actually see like trends over time and maybe take an average to then see it mm. or if not sometimes it's maybe going to say okay at the same time every week that's where you want to look of whether you've been to the toilet in the morning make sure you're fat no clothes it, you know all that kind of stuff is where you can see trends over time and that's probably two ways to do it but i think it's going in with the approach of is that going to be triggering for that person? And actually, do we need to be that that coach that encourages them to take that step away from it's it and try and think for about everyone. Like, yeah. I see people, ideally, I'd like you to weigh like two or three times a week, but we can absolutely have a conversation yeah. about that. And some people, like, I don't want to do progress pictures and I'm like, fine. Because yeah. I don't, I'm almost borderline. I think I'm going to make, because I, I get them to do it every four weeks. Most people don't do it. And mm -hmm. I never chase them up about it. Like, I'm never like, where's your progress pictures? Like, I don't, I don't need to see you, like, with as little clothes as possible all the time. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't, but it's help, I think it is helpful sometimes. But I might get people to not do it for 12 weeks now. Okay. And then be like, maybe the 12 week one. And I won't, I might even just say you can send it or you, you don't have to send it. I'm kind of getting away from even, because I'm never really, the only time I've ever posted progress pictures is when I've had someone tell me I should be posting more of them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's a whole industry thing. I know. And I've probably I've probably posted people's progress like five times in yeah. three years. And I'm just like, I don't even... I've came up with this idea in my head that I'm now going to do reels. Because my whole thing's like form. Mm -hmm. So I like I don't actually brand it too much, but I've like called my coach and learned to lift. And it's okay. not like a whole like thing that I'm going to start this learn to lift company or whatever. Yeah. I just wanted to get away from it being about weight loss and yeah. be like, no, my service is actually, my whole thing is teaching you how to lift. I'll mm -hmm. help you with food and stuff like that, but that's the main thing. Yeah. Um, And I want to like make reels that are like someone's journey from, I might get them a train in here, film a few things, and then like 16 weeks down the line, like show the, how good the remaining deadlifters are shot. And I'm going to start doing that as my, thing to promote because you need to promote your business yeah. in some yeah. way but it'll just take longer mm -hmm. it's quite easy fucking i know that. and that's where i would say it's it's tricky because again the clients that come in occasionally to the gym are folk that are obviously going to want quick results and whatever else and that's again the clickbait that can often come with someone gets looks you know from this to this in 68 weeks or whatever and i i get it 
And I, I feel that it's tricky from a coaching world that that's potentially how we get clients if it's their end goal. But I think, I don't know, I've probably had, I think I just go from the approach of, I would like the same as you, want to know that someone thinks from like the longevity point of view of rather than it being aesthetics. If that comes with it, great. And that's what your goal was, fine. Or one of your goals. But I want someone to come in and be like, okay, I want to try and know that I can get a bit stronger. I know that I'm going to actually be able to move well as I get older. Um, you know, and just give them almost like an air of confidence with it so that they come in and train and actually think, I've bloody enjoyed that today. Um, yeah. Rather than thinking that they were just training just for simply seeing weight in the scales or something like I that. I often get people to tell me their goals just so I can see how they're thinking. Yeah. I don't even take, like, I don't even consider them. Mm-hmm. People Got know goals. that though. Their goals, did you say? Yeah, okay, like, watch, like, consultation form, like, watch your free goals and they'll be uh-huh. like, lose a stone. And I was, I, I'll say straight away, let's not do that. Yeah. I'll be like, see if you lose four pounds mm-hmm. in 12 weeks you've got a lot stronger yeah. you're enjoying the gym that's class mm-hmm. and i would just be like explaining that i'm like because there's nothing wrong like even if you lost 10 pounds mm-hmm. if you set that goal a stone you're gonna be disappointed even though you, you've done you've done class yep so um, I, I just kind of ask their goals to see what they're, and like every most people think like yeah. that um and i think that's the the a really good approach to use for it and like you said that if weight loss comes with it that's like an added bonus but for a lot of people I think who are trying to lose weight they often have this idea of okay I need to get to x weight but what happens actually when they get there the majority of the time people aren't happy still Mm -hmm. then and then what's the next you know and it's just that constant cycle of not ever appreciating what your body can do in the gym Mm -hmm. or you know feeling yourself appropriately all that kind of stuff and it's I don't know. I think it's trying to think that we're not just put on this earth for like how we look. And I often say to some of my clients, like, really at your funeral, are people going to be remembering whether you have abs or not? Probably not. And is that really what you want to strive for? Like, let's go and actually make sure that you, for the most part, eat really well, you know, train really well that actually suits you um, and gets you feeling fitter and stronger. But then so that you can go and enjoy meals out with your pals and stuff that you're mm. not feeling guilty about it or, you know, cause that's just that. I, like, I think you want to have a freer mind with mm-hmm. all this and that sometimes all these goals that you think will make you happy are just trapping you yeah. in that that part of your mind yep. and it's it's subconsciously you're doing it to yourself and the deeper you get into coaching i think our job is to like free you of that yeah some coaches will just play on that mm-hmm. and do exactly what you're what you think you want but yeah. then you just stay in the same like you can you can yo-yo diet with a coach mm-hmm. you can yo-yo diet with multiple coaches yeah. where you can just go like five different coaches you're you're yo-yo dieting mm-hmm. you're just being pt'd yeah. and a yo-yo dieting yep um, and the reason probably someone's having to move to a new coach is because the last diet didn't work for them do you know mm-hmm. that's why and then really at the end of it they've just went through this cycle of never sticking to one thing and actually seen the other benefits of it because they've never really stuck for anything long enough that they can then maintain or have been educated to you know to understand how they maintain that kind of lifestyle after right we're gonna take a break mm-hmm. i've done this with someone before okay but see because you're pretty well qualified and there'll be stuff that i want to learn from you okay. i want to do like a quick fire okay where i'll just ask a few questions that i wouldn't really be able to answer that well uh-huh. and then just doesn't have to be a long-winded answer just right. try to give me a quick answer but right, okay. go to the toilet in between can you explain the difference between fat burning and fat loss so fat burning and fat loss is often something that 
people get totally mixed up. Fat burning and fat loss are not the same thing at all. And I think it often comes in with things like fasted training and things. People think that they are burning body fat when they're like training fasted. But burning, or sorry, fat, burning fat as a fuel doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be burning body fat stores so fast you if you're doing exercising things faster in the morning or something you're going to want to you're obviously having an overnight fast from the night before and you have no fuel usually left on board we've went into like our muscle and liver glycogen that we would usually use first for exercise um that it's then having to tap into what other exogenous fuel that you've got like and around your body so that's because that's the readily available fuel that it's got there that your body's having to almost like get forced to use but it doesn't mean that you're necessarily burning fat as an athlete Mm -hmm. why might it be like beneficial to eat more sort of processed carbs and sugars yeah um it's often an area of sports nutrition that is um that people take wrongly so to meet higher energy demands for someone who even recreational athletes or everyday athletes or elite athletes, there is sometimes a need for more processed foods in order to meet higher energy demands to meet their active lifestyle, if that makes sense. So in and around exercise, we are needing to try and make sure that we fuel up with carbohydrates as much as we can and to meet higher overall calorie intakes it's sometimes impossible to do that from just whole foods alone so it's not that they take up the majority of someone's intake it's just potentially to meet higher energy needs on top of that and processed foods are very beneficial well see even when i tried to bulk i couldn't just get my calories in from like pat like even just like potato try 500 calories of boiled potatoes (laughs) and it'd be sick um why do crossfit promote low carb diets i don't know like why because i think the person who's in charge of their nutrition stuff has never done any background of nutrition education and the frustrating thing about that is that especially crossfit which is such a high intensity sport you need your glycogen or your carbohydrate stores as much as possible because that's the kind of energy system that we use in high particularly in high intensity we can't convert fat quick enough to use that for a fuel and high intensity exercise so it's they definitely need to get a dietitian on board <laughs> this is not written down mm-hmm. but you know you you get quite a lot of athletes now that are coming out as vegan yep. how can they like make their diet work as being an athlete so i would definitely say that there's uh there's definitely ways to do it um I think vegetarian and vegan, there's a bit of a difference there, but you can still definitely get what you need. With vegan, you're going to need to go down with some supplement routes and things like that, some of it. And I would say- What would you supplement? So things like B12 and stuff that you're usually going to need that you probably can't get if you're going to be excluding meat and dairy products and things. Vegetarians, you've got a bit more of a um, an opportunity to get in things like extra protein and stuff if you're including some dairy products and eggs and things like that. Vegan, I would say you have to just- be a bit more savvy and clued up before you start excluding things. So for example, a lot of people come into clinic and things that I'm doing just now and decide to go more plant-based, which is absolutely fine, but haven't really done their research or whatever beforehand or looked into it. So are coming in with, for example, calcium deficiency and things, which is impacting their bone health, you know, and just don't know if they're ex- technically excluding a food group, which it technically is, especially dairy as well. 
they're not getting they're not replacing it with anything else or looking for fortified alternatives so i would say they can definitely do it but it would just be being smart about your nutritional intake and where you get your sources from and vegans in particular probably might need to rely on supplements a bit more than than others i heard that guy on a podcast say this before mm -hmm. i didn't like the it was stephen bartlett okay i don't like a lot of the thumbnails don't like a lot of yes. the advice given out mm -hmm. but it was mad because the guy who was on the podcast i can't remember his name i liked 90 percent of what he said and then i despised 10 percent of what he said okay. he just like went off on this whole rant about diet cokes diet mm -hmm. coke and i was like that was i was um he had an amazing hour yeah and then he just went on this almost Most like thanked rant about a relevant rant that was I just felt like clickbait if you know yeah. what i mean but he said something class and he and i heard you say it why i'm just long-winded way of answering that's okay. asking a question <laughs> i've given you a long give answer because basically the question is what is the benefit of trying to get more colors in your diet and can you explain that more the easiest way that i often explain to people is if it isn't always necessarily this but usually with more colors usually means that you get more nutrients so when i um say to someone about the old saying of getting your five a day we don't want to just be eating five apples a day because it's going to give us the same nutrients we want to try and eat like a cheesy as it sounds eating a rainbow as much as we can because usually with different fruits and vegetables we're going to get different vitamins and minerals from that and they're one of our richest sources of a lot of vitamins and minerals that we can we can get in our diet so yeah. So add dragon Biggest, fruit in. Add dragon fruit in, yeah. <laughs> if you can that, source it. That's the, <laughs> Import it from Bali. <laughs> that was the one thing I liked about Bali. Yeah. I didn't really like a lot of Bali. I, think it's ki I mean, it looks cool, but I think it's kind of tasteless. You know oh, it felt like it, they were trying to make an Asian Marbella. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's so strange. <laughs> it's just nice on your, uh, is it acai or acai bowl? Yeah, on, but they're the, one, they're the one thing I picked up. I, <laughs> yeah. I want to get dragon fruit so much. Um, what was the most common, like, so I imagine if people come to you mm -hmm. knowing that you're a dietitian as well, uh, they'll say similar things to me, me, but they'll be more thinking about like perfectionism with yeah. food. What's the most common theme that crops up? Um, with clients when they first start? Yeah, like what's the most common thing they struggle with or like they, they have a, like a myth that they believe in? I probably would say it's usually carbs. Yeah. I would say there's this, uh, uh, carbs, the fear of carbs seems to always rear its ugly head in another way, whether it's like Atkins diet or keto or whatever else. It's all demonizing carbs. And I it's I just I don't understand it. <laughs> um that's probably one of I would say the most there's there's just so much misinformation about it. And if you're active, the more active you get, the more carbs you're gonna need. And I think it's the spell in that of being like, if you actually want to train better and get stronger, you're gonna need to get carbs in you. Like yeah. Is there anything people should be worried about? So saturated fats or processed sugars, is there anything you would say avoid or would you say to people avoid so, anything? I would say that there's room. So even often something that I speak to clients about is I think sometimes dietitians are given this like idea that we're like the food place, which I would hope that the majority of us aren't. And I often say to folk, if anyone tells you to cut out your favourite foods, you need to run for the bloody hills because that's, that's not right. I, even things like chocolate cakes, biscuits, takeaways, whatever, they can form part of a healthy diet. It's the same with what you said earlier on about processed foods being part of an athlete's diet. It's how the rest of your diet is largely made up in and around that. Um, I would say that what 
people need to just be mindful of is like you said saturated fat intake it's choosing more unsaturated fats where possible um watching how much added sugar is in things so if your diet is largely made up of you know foods that have a lot of added sugar in so like things like your chocolates and stuff like that how much of that if you're in, if they take up the majority of your dietary intake they're obviously then making you lose out on other nutrients that you need to get from more whole foods so i think in general it's just been mindful of how much your dietary composition is made up of that if that yeah. makes sense this is one i'm making off the top of my head mm -hmm. what would your if someone comes to you and their food is all over the place they've yeah. got no structure with it whatsoever maybe they do have some preconceived like attitudes towards carbs and stuff mm -hmm. what would your like first four weeks look like with them with food um it depends often the first things that i tend to do with a lot of clients is actually try and one ask them why they want to come and see me in the first place where do they maybe see themselves in six to 12 months um what is their kind of sticking points with nutrition so far um what's maybe worked for them and what hasn't before um and then kind of get them to tell me a wee bit about why they eat the way that they eat if i get a diet history from them and stuff like that tell tell me a bit more about it why they choose the foods that they do and this is where from a, diet a dietetic point of view we look into things like their social history and stuff because there's it's not just about this is where diet has so much more it's more just than about what you eat there's so many other factors that can influence someone's intake and um often what i would do for the first part is go through try and educate someone about how you make up for example like a healthy plate a healthy snack and see if we can try and get through some of the barriers there with what they do or don't understand about nutrients. And often one of the approaches I would tend to speak to clients about is think about what you can add into your diet as opposed to taking away. So a lot of people come in and thinking, I'm going to need to restrict this, this, this and this. But most of the time it's thinking, okay, my meal is actually a wee bit short of, I don't know, carbohydrates, or it's maybe lacking in a bit of colour. I need to chuck something else in there. Same with maybe their snacks. Their snacks are where a lot of people think I shouldn't be snacking, but snacks is something that I often say they're like mini meals. And if you're active, you probably need them. Um, so what can we do to add into a snack that is going to actually make you feel more, like maybe full, you know, keep you going a bit longer? What's going to give you more nutrients and treat it as an opportunity to get nutrients in that hopefully maybe by the end of the day, your cravings for kind of the higher sugary foods might, I would hope won't be there just as much because you're actually feeling yourself and giving your body what it needs, you know, throughout the day, but still honouring cravings when you feel that you want them. Um, yeah. Do you long winded answer? Yeah, no, it's good. Do you get people to track often? Again, it depends on the person. So I would say I'll, so many clients come into clinic and be like, I want a meal plan. Um, and I think dietitians are, I don't know if I want to say 50 50 on this. Some dietitians are happy to give meal plans. But I would say the majority of us tend to just, I would, for me, I would give a meal plan to someone who say they were training for a marathon and wanted to carb load for the next week or something. I would help organize their dietary intake for that week to be like, okay, I think you need to be eating X, Y, and Z to carb load appropriately for your, your, you know, your big race or whatever you're doing. The majority of the time, I don't ever really give meal plans at all. I help them build a structure. So it could be that I take out the guesswork, obviously, of what their requirements and protein and all that is. And sometimes get them to maybe count like food groups up. So thinking to themselves, okay, you maybe roughly need to have, I don't know, eight servings of carb complex, complex carbohydrates a day. You maybe need to get three servings of protein a day. And how they make that up is up to them. Mm -hmm. But then I'll give them support and resources in and around that to help with that if they don't really know how to build a balanced plate or whatever else. So it takes away the calorie counting. It's just more thinking over the course of the day of 
right, okay, my meal should, I almost have like a meal checklist that I give them. So think about adding a couple of portions of complex carbohydrates, some salad veggies or something, whatever that is, getting in some sort of source of protein in there somewhere and then ticking off a dairy source a couple of times a day to get or dairy or fortified like alternatives. You've almost answered this question that I was going to ask next, okay. but I just want to, it's maybe, this is some of this is maybe like selfish for myself. Okay. So as a coach, I'd be like, quite, I'd be quite big on tracking just mm -hmm. at the start, just be, and it's purely so I can see what they're eating mostly. Okay. Just having, but I want to have something in place for not just people that are tracking's maybe not the right answer for them. But when maybe they get 12 weeks in and it's maybe someone that doesn't like, they don't really need to track anyway. Yeah. And like, I just don't really have something to give them to be like, right, here's like a we sort of template, not like a template as in like eat this, this and this, just like some sort of structure. Like I think Jordan Syatt talks about like three meals and two snacks yeah. and then he like goes into detail about the actual meals and like very vague, but enough to... Yeah. get them to stop stressing out do you have anything like that so uh, that's me probably answering that last question probably from a, what i would do with someone in clinic if you right. know what i mean my approach to maybe someone from a pt point of view might differ a little bit so if someone wants to come in from a coaching point of view i would probably most of the time i would say i choose not to encourage them to track unless they i can really tell from maybe a couple of sessions with them that do you know what that might be the approach from them and there's no kind of like red flags that are what coming is up that to me. what is that like maybe that there's no structure of their food or yeah or often it's not maybe so much tracking i often just get them to write them down so dietitians are really into like food diaries and stuff like that so maybe it would be asking them to scribble it down on their notes on their phone send me it or if not, it could be just them putting on a notepad, you know, I'd let me see it for a week and let me view that rather than, I know like popular apps are obviously very good for, are quite easy to put your intake in, but I think it takes away, I, th I wonder how accurate people put it in. And I think that's where if you're maybe encouraged to write it down, you could maybe easily say it's two handfuls or um, I don't know, it's a palm size portion of whatever. And I think that allows me to see a bit easier what they're having as opposed to them trying to put it in and be like oh i think that's roughly how much i've had so i'm not a huge fan of putting the tracking putting stuff in tracking apps for the majority of clients i would say there's a place for it and sometimes it can be really helpful if i can guarantee that i know someone's going to track fairly honestly but i find for me food diaries people don't like are, talking about that that yeah. clients lie about stuff uh, you know, i, I find a lot of coaches are like no nah, they don't lie and i'm like no, but it's not an, an attacking them thing. No. It, that's what, it happens. It's like white coat syndrome. That's like, like if someone mm. was to come in and see me in clinic, I would guarantee that they would probably tell me that they're eating a bit better than the majority of people until you maybe like quiz them a little bit more in a dietary assessment and be like, okay, actually your intake's that. Because they, they don't, they've got the fear of being judged. Mm -hmm. And that's the sad thing. And well, that's, I don't know how often this happens for you, but probably 50% of people will we'll apply and be like i'm trying to lose weight yeah. i'm like i'm on 1200 calories i like but they're but they're also not but mm -hmm. they also don't need to try yeah. 1200 calories but i work with them for a week and i'm like it's okay that you weren't yeah but you weren't and i'll educate you on and i'll try to get them to eat around maintenance and yeah. stuff like that what i do i think that's why it matters so much about 
what's the support being given with those sort of things and what's the education being given with like so when i get people to track i'm not trying to get them to hit a low goal yeah. i'm 99% of the time I've increased their goal by quite a lot mm -hmm. and it's I'm I'm doing the opposite I'm trying to work them up to a higher goal yeah and then also educate like I educate them on like where they are sort mm -hmm. of tracking wrong and I'm purely coming at it so they can see what's in food because some of it's liberating mm -hmm. they go oh, I never realized that yeah. was in that and then even if I can do it for like six weeks and they do a lot of them gradually start falling off mm -hmm. But that I treat that more as an education process, and yeah. also it's more of a increasing their food intake mm -hmm. for the gym. That's the way I come yeah. at it, rather than like drag a eat a low amount. Mm -hmm. I'm always the opposite. I'm always I'm trying to increase yeah. things, not take them down. Yeah, and I think that's a good approach to have. And I think the but I, I genuinely want what you're talking about. Like I, I I just don't know how to portray that to someone yet. I think. I suppose maybe for for me, I end up like what you said earlier on. If when someone comes into the gym, I try and say to them, we might focus on nutrition a bit further down the line. Let's get you in and let me get to know you a bit better and stuff first. Um, let me see how your approach to your exercise and stuff is. What obviously you have really good discussions with folk when they're on the gym floor and you learn more about them, and that's sometimes where I end up picking up whether kind of doing a little bit kind of a stricter approach maybe of getting them to track and stuff might be helpful or if whether it might not be um so I think it like you said it maybe really depends on the the person but I think for a lot of people they don't have a calorie aware a calorie awareness they don't know where calories come from so that's where I think sometimes it can be really helpful from an like you said an educational point of view of it might just help someone understand where they come where it comes from and that's where I think PTs are often put in a bit of a tricky position because we're we're obviously usually there to train people in the gym and i i've talked to so many pt pals about this that we're almost getting asked to do another job on the side of it and it's not to grudge that but that's not really what we went to go and do our courses and stuff in and i think there's this big expectation from clients that we should be giving them a lot more when actually in my opinion we maybe need to be like that's actually not our remit there's a limit that we can help you but you maybe need to and that's me taking my dietetic oh sorry <laughs> my dietetic side of it out of it but i you know i would be wanting to encourage someone to get to come in for like a bigger assessment so that i've got the time and invested in them rather than just trying to talk to like you said it's not always appropriate on the gym floor to do it but that's where the majority just of feels weird that mm, does feel weird what you have First breakfast. Mm -hmm. I know. <laughs> you're like, yeah. Go and lift that. I know. <laughs> I know. When you're like, yeah, try and give your max effort there. Like it's yeah. it's so hard. Um. So I think PTs are put in a very difficult position because we are often the first port of call that people will see. Um. This was what I've been talking about. So I have a girl called Katie on quite a lot. You mm -hmm. probably got on mm -hmm. with her. So she's <clears throat> big into therapy. She's uh B. She's got BPD. Um. But we were talking about there's when someone is in a bad place yep. usually pin it on their weight straight away and like they might need therapy might need all of this other sort of stuff but there isn't access to many of those things and probably the most accessible thing as a personal trainer and mm -hmm. because they've pinned all their problems on their weight we are usually the first people they see yeah. so we have all the they expect all of these different things to change and really we should only be focusing on the gym mm -hmm. Cause that is our job yeah you don't get the pt course taught i had to unlearn most of the nutrition stuff anyway 
Like, cause I'd done most of my research before would have been cause I was overweight. Like, mm-hmm. I, like all the podcasts, all the studies or whatever, it would have been all nu- mostly nutrition based. Yeah. So I was quite glued up before I started the course. Yeah. And I would read stuff and go, well, I'll have to. Yeah. I, I was writing the answer going, well, this is wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is toxic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's what most people are like. I, Dale was really glued up before he started PTing as well. Okay. But the amount of people that probably just go, I like going to the gym, I'll just become a PT. Mm-hmm. And then they do that course and they're really getting thrown in the deep end. Mm-hmm. Where like these people are like wanting all yeah. these changes. It's a hard job, man. Yeah, and it is. And I don't think I've, I mean, I've been coaching now for maybe five years, but was just doing it part-time until I've started to kind of make it like, I'm still part-time, but doing it more. And um I don't think I fully appreciated until I came out and I would say that I've got the time to invest more in my clients than what I probably did before when I was still doing it on top of my NHS work. But it is it is hard. And I think um, I was weirdly pleasantly surprised with the course that I did that there, I felt that they gave you the healthy eating basics, which was good. But I think the trouble is that the clients expect more than that. Um, and it's tricky because for me, even as a dietitian I often say we need to go back to basics that's where a lot of people just go wrong but if they're coming into a gym environment and say they don't have a PT a lot of the dietary opinions and things that are floating around a gym space I would argue probably aren't the greatest in the first place because a lot of people have their opinions on nutrition that might be wrong in the first place and that's where I think PTs if someone then does invest in someone we are the first port of call and we need to be that person that you know tries to encourage them to think about getting back to basics how are you building up your balance plates and all that where a lot of people don't have that knowledge in the first place i try come at it instead of like you've got these goals try come at it like the goals to the next four to six weeks Mm -hmm. feel better yeah maybe some of that will be quite hard but like think of the gym as like it's not about an outcome Mm -hmm. well the outcome is you're just doing something for yourself and feeling better again because that's why you're never nobody hires a pt feeling class yeah they go here i feel amazing yeah i look at myself in the mirror i'm like yeah. I'm, I'm a bad bitch <laughs> do you know what i mean yep. that's never the case but that like we are trying to instill like you just want to feel good again i have a few more questions mm-hmm. these are very like just for my own okay so i've ran a bit in the past like i'd, I'd done like a plan but i was wait i just was faster than what i thought so okay. purely for my own ego when I ran, a, I, was, I was doing a 5K plan mm-hmm. and it was quite inten- intensive and it was before I was doing a PT and I might want to do it again. How would I like fuel up before like the longer runs? And also if I was to say I would done a plan for like 10 weeks to yeah. do a faster time, yeah. how would my first, my like last two days before my run, like how should I eat? I would say it maybe depends on the length of the race and stuff that you're going to do. 5K. So, so 5K, I would say, depending on how long it would take you to do it. But if, averagely speaking, if it's usually for folk, maybe around 30 minutes and stuff, you often... 19. What's that? 19. 19. Decent. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I would say you don't often need to worry about how you fuel during it because it's fairly short. So from the fueling up point before that... Carb loading, that's why I don't loading. fully understand. So I think, again, depending on the race, I would argue that you probably need to focus more on carb loading if the race was going to be like a lot longer. Probably if you were, you have the risk of your fuel stores being depleted if you're not going to carb load up 
you know, for a longer, you know, endurance event, if that makes sense. But I would say for a 5K, as long as you're making sure that your meals and snacks contain a source of carbohydrate throughout the week before, and you're also making sure that your pre-workout nutrition mm. is kind of on point of making sure that you're taking a carb source in before you before you do it. What's your hydration and stuff like and things as well. Now, what about, say I ran at 12 and if I was eating in the morning, because the reason I also ask is I'd done cross-country in okay. primary school. Mm -hmm. Same. I was sucked. <laughs> this was a height of fatness, terrible, terrible <laughs> four stone overweight. Also, I had a massive bowl of just like plain pasta because uh -huh. I was like, I'll fuel up before this. Yeah. But I had it like an hour before. Oof. I was nearly sick the full yeah. time. Mm -hmm. I, I think I was third last. <laughs> yeah. So this is maybe where like um, probably more processed carbohydrates then come into the mix. So as you, the further away you are from your exercise session that's where you can afford to take kind of like your everyday carbohydrates that i would call them so like your whole grain versions of your so that's why you'd look at more the night before uh, yeah so for example if you were going up to do like a race in the morning and stuff i would be saying that you want to think about what your carb intakes like at your kind of lunch and evening meal the day before uh, or maybe your supper snack as well and then if you were getting up and kind of racing early doors you would if you probably on a race day you would maybe be up early enough anyway to try and get some sort of like decent fuel on board maybe like three to four hours beforehand have you been your last like substantial meal um and then the closer you get the more processed your carbohydrates kind of need to be so it could be that you drop you end up dropping like the amount of fiber and fat that you get from them because they both slow down the digestion so this is probably where having a big massive bowl of pasta probably wasn't like a great idea because the volume is probably too high or if it was the whole grain version of it you're probably you can't digest that quick enough in order for your muscles or your your blood to get that energy cycling through for your muscles to use if that makes sense um so the closer you get the more easily digestible your carbohydrates need to be okay last question because mm -hmm. some of these are just cropping up okay would you do anything like that for a podcast or something that you're gonna have to intensely concentrate on would you ever eat accordingly to that? Um, Do you ever think it's about a good things like that? A really good question. So often something that I would really, I speak to a lot of clients about is fueling to perform. And that sounds really cheesy, but if you think about it, as we perform in every day, like tasks that we do, whether it's, I don't know, at work, you know, as a parent, just in relationships, whatever. And when we say, when I say fuel to perform, a lot of people just automatically think, oh, it's me trying to, you know, do heavier in the gym or whatever and get fitter but a lot of the time it's actually to do with a lot more than that so if you're not fueling yourself well enough for your day-to-day -day activities then you're probably going to feel that you lack in concentration you don't have the energy to get through the rest of your day um so yeah i would say that for the most part i am now definitely thinking of an approach of like a fueled mindset how can i fuel my active day when i feel like i'm a busy person enjoy training whatever else that each of my meals and snacks need to be giving me the energy that i need to support my active lifestyle and around my training as well good stuff because i had a few clients in intermittent fasting mm -hmm. and they were like but i'm not working okay. not working out in the morning and my job's not physical and i was like but very mentally like draining the job and if you don't eat like i how, how much do you buy that you can concentrate more when you fast? Don't buy it. You don't buy it? No. Right, we will definitely end on this, but I want to hear that. No, it's, yeah. Because I, I just, I didn't feel any of that. And I'd, I'd done it for like four weeks, maybe like long, long time ago. Yeah. And it would be with the knowledge I have now, it would be different me trying it and like really knowing what was going on, like because I'm self-aware or whatever. Yeah. But when people say stuff like that, 
I know placebo can be it's still placebo is placebo uh, yeah. placebo is placebo it still works but I just don't really so I think the first thing's first probably about intermittent fasting is that I would say that nutrition is individualized if intermittent fasting works for one person like fine as a dietitian we would need to support someone through that but again give them the advice that would help them to make more informed choices about their health for me I just always think that there's no I think a lot of people come in thinking that intermittent fasting is this magic approach to eating that's going to make them like lose weight quicker feel better whatever there is no that's difference that's due to the internet isn't it uh-huh and um I mean there's so many different approaches to it like the five to 16 you know there's loads of different ways and i would say what attracts a lot of people to it is that they're essentially not having to cut any foods out it's not asking them to restrict a certain food or anything it's just changing the pattern in which they eat which can be appealing to a lot of people but evidence time and time again comes up to say that if you match the calories that you take on an intermittent fasting day to the calories that you would take if you were just put on a prescribed like energy deficit mm-hmm. then the fat loss is exactly the same. So again, it comes down to your overall calorie intake at the end of the day. It's just an approach that you could maybe use to eat less. And all it's doing is just restricting your eating window. So the concern that I would say I have from a fuel to perform side of things is that it's not teaching you how to eat any better, really, because it's not ask, it's not looking at what your diet quality is like. Um, how is it fueling your active day? And there's actually research that's come out as well that from an under, like, we've not spoke so much about like underfueling. I've seen you write posts about this so you can fire on that. Yeah, if you want. so it's, okay, it's an area that I, I wanted just, you to explain because there was an acronym you used was there as well. Because you said um, underfuel. I'm not good with like, I don't even know what an acronym really is. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I'm not good with I'm those. I'm trying to think what I mean. Was it like you, low like, energy availability? Yeah, yeah. Is it that? What is that? So, is that an acronym? Yeah, so I've often would yes, be like, yeah, that's it, that's you. My so teacher will be LEA is often um, like what it's it's kind of um, acronymed at. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a area that I would we say I'm really... We had such an intelligent conversation we, we until, until I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I would say it's an area that I would, I am really passionate about. I think from day-to-day athletes that aren't like fueling enough do you think this applies to intermittent fasting because we kind of jumped to that yeah Yeah. so that's kind of what i was going to go and say is that for a lot of people that aren't eating enough people just think that it's actually the impact that that's having on their health so like hormone levels and all of that is only from an overall reduced energy intake but there was a study done i can't remember how long ago it was but there's been a study that has come out to show that even if you for example fast in the morning and then train and you're not eating for a period of time in and around that your hormone levels are actually affected by shorter periods of fasting it's not just from a prolonged period of a reduced energy intake if that makes sense it's actually from a day-to-day point of view your hormones are affected by how much you eat in and around like exercise for example or how long you go on a daily basis so, so that you mean like maybe when you're fasting like cortisol and stuff can maybe be rising yeah, and stuff so from a if you went and for then, a, you mean like the like hunger hormone yeah, and stat- like but, they're all even like hormone levels like for example for a lot of females if they are not eating enough over a prolonged period of time their hormone levels of things like estrogen and things go down they might lose their menstrual cycle all that kind of stuff and not that for like one day of eating less that's not going to have a a big impact but if it's something that you're doing recurrently on um 
regular basis of, for example, faster training and things like that, you're putting your body potentially under more stress by training in that fasted state and not having the fuel in there to actually support the stress exercise that you're about to do. And we've seen that hormone levels can actually be affected by just day-to-day longer periods of restriction which isn't great so that's where for me I'm someone that definitely says that I would never encourage someone to do faster training and a topic that I would say comes up with clients all the time is I come in and train like first thing in the morning and I'm like it's okay me too and I would definitely say that I was someone that loved faster training when I was younger and had no idea the effects that it would probably have and just thinking that must be better for me but I think we all have so we every day you probably have to eat at particular times where maybe we don't want to and that's the discussions that I often have with clients is that in the morning you might not have much of an appetite but your capacity to eat there'll be something that you can take and getting something on board is far better than getting nothing on board and then your tolerance can increase like over time. I wonder if things come in waves because they've been having exact like the things that are cropping up for me Mm -hmm. like that that main one Mm -hmm. about four times this week really I've said to people that not all about hunger cues. Yep. Like sometimes you just need to eat because you got something coming up. Yep. Just not like, I don't know how true this statement is, but I was like, <clears throat> sometimes your food routine is more important than yeah. your hunger cues. Yeah. Um, I think when there's a, been a background of dieting as well, for a lot of people, when they've just been calorie tracking, macro tracking, whatever for a period of time, that's all been like external cues that people have used for so long to say when they should eat or not and I think we've been so used to if people have done that for a period of time they've totally got out of tune of what their hunger and fullness cues are and I think that's where a lot of work sometimes needs to be done when someone wants to step away from dieting is actually trusting that again which can't happen overnight but often what I like explain to people as well is if you when you're ready to go to sleep or when you're ready to go to the toilet your body's got cues there that tells you that that's what you need to do it's exactly the same for hunger and like fullness we our body tells us that you know we've got systems in our body that actually tells us when we need to eat but i think for so many people when they've been overly restricting for so long or tracking it's all been external cues and people have just lost that way of actually eating when they potentially need to do you know if you've got another five minutes because you keep saying stuff and I'm like you're, no, <laughs> you're but probably you're like, absolutely like, <laughs> no because the way you're explaining it, it's so simple and it's, I know it's going to be easy to understand. Yeah. And right, I want you, like, can you explain if there's any benefit to intuitive eating then based off of that? And then the next one I want to go mm-hmm. into is metabolism because okay. that's something that gets thrown around and really misunderstood as yeah. well. So I definitely say that there's a space for intuitive eating and I think it's getting a bit of a bad rap I think sometimes in the media that a lot of people think that if they just were to intuitively eat that they would then go out of control but I think what it often comes back down to is actually maybe that hunger and fullness cues that a lot of people have lost over time and it's not that I mean I you can go and um, kind of do extra courses to be like an intuitive eating dietitian that promotes that kind of approach um, which isn't something that I've done but the a lot of the things that we would encourage folk to do if I was to get a client into clinic would be to do with that if they've had a background of like yo-yo dieting and things and that's the a lot of the things that I would encourage folk to think about first you know if when you are about to have something to eat are you actually eating because you're feeling physically like hungry or you know how long are you leaving it until you're ready to eat so there's a definite space for that and I think it's just had a bit of a bad reputation in the media by 
I don't know, people maybe that have a misunderstanding of how it should be used. Um, and it is just trying to get- A bit like fasting as well, aren't it? Yeah. And it's just trying to get people back to that idea of, you know, trusting your body again, um, you know, and it's okay to be, it's okay to eat when you're actually hungry. Um, because I think the dieting culture's had us thinking that, I mean, I don't know how many clients I would say have also said to me, oh, when I'm feeling hungry, like to try and stop me eating, I might just go out a walk or like have a glass of water or, and I'm like, but your body's telling you you're you're needing something to eat. That's my little, like, that's quite common. People are, I just keep busy. I know. And I, I mean, I, but again, if you're busy, you're probably, your hunger, you're, the way your body works is that um, your hunger cues will go up, obviously, with the more active that you are, which is like normal. So I think we, there's an element of teaching people again that you don't, you shouldn't ignore that. But it's the, then if people have ignored it, the natural response of then when you then get to a point of where you're extremely hungry is then going to be that you're going to try and eat everything because you're that hungry, which is a total natural response. And then it feeds into that cycle again of, oh, you know, maybe I should track again because I've just totally went out of control. But and it's, no, it's kind guilt of guilt and shame yeah. cycle starts as well. But that approach has probably predicted that in the first place because you left yourself going for so long without having anything to eat when your body was actually saying you need to have something to eat so yeah i would say intuitive eating's got a real place for it that a lot of people need to try and tune into that okay i don't know how to fully word this but you'll know <laughs> exactly what i'm talking about can you explain the difference between like your metabolism adapting from chronically dieting all the time and also people saying it's damaged as if that's like factual and also can you explain maybe how people go about fixing that and like how much truth is there to like reverse dieting, et cetera? And like, I'm not, I'm not coming at this with any bias or anything. Yeah. I just want to know your thoughts on all of it. I wouldn't say that your, I mean, your metabolism is naturally going to change. How much you metabolize your food is going to change depending on what your weight is and how much fuel and stuff that you're getting, you're actually giving your body. So, yes and no but i would say that over time it's not going to be damaged your the your metabolism is going to alter depending on the food and the fuel that you're going to give it and i think the issue in and around that is that people think from years of yo-yo dying that their metabolism is out the shot it's, it's not it's just that we need to maybe take it back to what you should actually technically be eating and your your body's a smart thing it's going to it, it's going to deal with the food that you then give it appropriately um, so it's not that you're going to do long term damage it's more that we need to think about your approach to nutrition in the first place has just been wrong and probably hasn't worked for you because you've just been on this yo-yo cycle of you know potentially either binge eating or eating too much and then going into huge periods of over over restriction and I think that's the issue sometimes with the reverse diet and if that was like the next part of that um, is that for me if I was to take someone through like a fat loss phase I would almost be encouraging them to be in a very uh, calorie deficit. I mean, again, it depends on when someone, what goal someone has. If they have a bit of a time frame, obviously there's levels of, ex like levels of a calorie deficit that you can put someone in. For me, I would always say what is going to be sustainable and what are you likely going to stick to for the long run? So you want to get that kind of sweet spot of where, yes, there might be an element of hunger because you are putting yourself into a deficit and your body's almost like, that's a natural reaction to you giving it less food but you want to be having that sweet spot of where you think that's something that I can manage like okay and it might be something that you have to do for I don't know 
period of maybe like four to six weeks or something, maybe a bit longer. And then I would be say, okay, let's take a bit of like a break from it and stuff here, especially if you're starting to get tired from it and maybe sit at like what we call it maintenance calories and stuff for like a bit and then go back into it and stuff then just to give someone a break. Um, because I think your body is under stress in a calorie deficit and that's what we need to remember that we shouldn't be in a calorie deficit for months and months. It's just it's not good for There's one us. thing I could get into people's heads. It's the it's a phase. Uh huh. A hundred percent. Yeah. And it should be short. Yeah. Um. And I think that's the sad thing is that I think a lot of people are just of this idea that they always need to be they always need to be in a calorie deficit of of some way or they're trying to compensate for when they've restricted so much during the week they then overeat at the weekend and then restrict again that much you know and it's it's just that constant cycle and yeah it's 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 sad. <laughs> we'll leave it there, but. That was that. That was class, and that we uh, you absolutely smashed that. And but well, it didn't end up being uh, quick fire. But oh no, sorry, pretty, bad for that. Pretty long fire. <laughs> but it, was, it was good. Um, I think the biggest thing that I've learned is with any sort of approach, and it's maybe something that I would say to clients is like, or anyone, you're gonna have to like you, you can't just listen to this podcast and go away. It's like yeah. gonna have to be a continual ed, like journey and educate yourself as you go through the journey yeah. like don't stop listening to podcasts and i think that's how i've done it mm -hmm. i think i just even though there's a mental masturbation aspect that everyone goes on about but that's yeah. more with the self-help stuff i think you can mentally masturbate with the, this nutrition stuff i think you can keep keep learning yeah. and then as long as you're like doing something because intuitive eating might work for you but if i just tell you with no knowledge whatsoever going intuitively eat you, you it won't work yeah and that's even what i said earlier on that nutrition should always be like individual individualized one approach that i do with one person isn't going to be the same for someone else i think the risky thing is, is that there's so much misinformation out there just now and so many like anyone could call themselves a nutritionist and that's the, they could have done like a day's course and been like yeah i know how to guide you on foods and it's the tricky thing is is that people don't maybe know where to get their information from so it is it's trying to make sure that wherever you are like listening to podcasts and stuff from that it's hopefully with like um reputable source and but this is a really good way to get you know when you maybe don't you can't get access at your gp or you can't get access to private healthcare and stuff which i know is a luxury for you know a privilege for a lot of people but this might be a really good way to to start learning where so, can people find you and like is, can you buy your book yep so just on your instagram yeah i'll put um, a link to that so you've you. got uh explain the book and then just give your instagram handle and then we'll end it now um so you can find me at um kerry major underscore dietitian um nice and easy to find and i'm kind of most active on instagram i also have a like tiktok that's a bit stagnant sometimes and then yeah um and then the book link and all that's on there as well and it was just something that i had a really fortunate opportunity to write a couple of years ago um and should give people the basics of nutrition again so that it hopefully clears the air of a lot of misinformation that's out there just now encourages people how to build up a balanced plate it's got recipes and stuff in there as well that it's often what i the way i described it before was often this almost like a, a little handbook bible that you could refer to if you were just like my god i'm overwhelmed and it hopefully will help someone make more informed choices about their about their nutrition class thank you very much Not at all. For thanks for having on. me unreal <laughs>